We have all experienced moments in our journey of faith that seemed as if we're on a roller coaster. Now, some love roller coasters and they feel like they're exciting and thrilling, but for others, it scares the life out of you and maybe even gets you sick. Roller coasters might be a great part of an amusement park experience, but they shouldn't be a part of our daily life. I'm your host, Roger Nelms, and over the past nearly 30 years of ministry, I've witnessed so many struggle through roller coaster Christianity because of a lack of spiritual disciplines. Hey, listen, I've even experienced this cycle myself, so you're not alone. This podcast is for Christians who want to get off the up and down cycle of passive faith and learn how to live the abundant life that God intended. So twice a month, we're going to discuss biblical truth and action steps that will put you in the driver's seat of your spiritual development and also empower you to maintain an upward growing faith that not only benefits you, but makes an impact in the world around you. You're listening to The 12, building habits that lead to spiritual maturity. Stick around. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, leave comments, share it with your friends, and even leave us a review. Enjoy the show. This past weekend, I was privileged to speak at our Connect Group Leader Rally, and uh, I tell you what, we had a blast. We played some games that were really fun. We shared some stories of life change, of things that happened in our last semester uh, during the spring, and uh, and we had this amazing coffee company come. I'm going to put their information in the show notes. Um, they're called Brightside Coffee. And they were just phenomenal. They did such a great job. And he actually goes to our church and is in a connect group as well. Um, but, hey, I wanted to talk to you and share that same message with you. Uh, and we really just talked about discipleship in groups and the, the power of it, the necessity of it, and how discipleship uh, and groups, groups are really a gateway uh, into discipleship for our people. But anyway, you know, groups for us exist uh, to really connect people in authentic relationships in order to encourage their spiritual growth. Uh, we're helping them to find freedom uh, from past sin and from past hurts, past failures, past hardships, or whatever they may have dealt with in their past. And and we help them to take next steps. And uh, you know that I love that verse from Hebrews 10, 24, where it says, let us look for ways to spur one another on or to encourage one another um, and so we're really just striving uh, to help them take next steps. And this really is the essence of discipleship. And I am a huge proponent of discipleship. Obviously, all believers should be, but it's a strong thing in, in, in my life and what I want to do in the lives of others. And really, we're building a bridge of relationship to carry the gospel, to bring them to Jesus, but not just to leave them there. We don't want to leave them at the altar. We want to walk away with them from the altar of getting to know Christ to then becoming disciples themselves. You know, our churches are really, uh, they're, they're full of three different types of people. And uh, I'll just simply go over them really quick, and it's just going to really help set the stage uh, for where we're going. Uh, so there's three different types of people. The first is the consumer. It's uh, uh, a person who indulges and uses, uh, and it's they derive their spiritual energies from others because they're not yet capable of producing it themselves. And uh, Paul called them babes in Christ. And, and listen, this isn't a, a cut on them. This isn't a judgment at all. It's just, hey, when we first get to know Jesus, we don't know any better. And so we come to church to soak it all in, uh, to take it all in, and we're not sure really what to do with it. We're not sure how to feed ourselves. 
ourselves yet. We're not sure how to uh, how to even live yet because we've just come to know him. We haven't gone through that process of sanctification, although we're all still in that process, but we're we're being perfected in the image of Christ. And it just is this is the beginning stage. Now, obviously, uh, Somebody shouldn't be in this stage very long as consumers, and we need to help them to get to another stage. And the next stage is the comfortable investor. And if you've ever invested before, you know uh, you start small, right? Uh, you only want to take a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and try it in a stock that's been very well vetted and has done well in the past. You're just kind of testing the waters. Well, it's the same as someone comes to know Christ. They become comfortable investors first. They don't want to dive in too deep yet, but they do want to dive in a little bit. They want to dip their toe in. They, they want skin in the game. So maybe they uh, maybe they start serving as a greeter or somewhere on, on one of our teams. Uh, maybe they do jump into a connect group because they know that, and they've been told, hey, this is a great next step for you. Uh, but the expectation is that they're going to get something out of it. They're still not in it for, for giving. They're in it for getting. It, it's still that mentality, that with them mentality. What's in it for me? Uh, they want low risk and yet high, high yield returns. And of course, we would all love that, right? In the investment world, we would love to just put $100 in and get 100000 out. But they're still learning again and still uh, uh, maintaining, uh, well, not just maintaining, they're trying to learn how to go forward in their faith. And then you have the third aspect is the committed lifers. And this is where we want everyone to end up. And hopefully this is where uh, where we reside more so than being a comfortable investor. And it's this is someone who's dedicated and loyal to something or someone other than themselves. And of course, we're talking about being uh, uh, bought into Jesus in this whole uh, Christianity. And so, uh, but they buy in with the intent of being responsible for the outcome without worrying about the cost or the credit. So these are people that aren't depending on their pastor to give them uh, uh, what they need on the weekend to survive the rest of the week. It's where this committed lifer is digging into the word themselves. They're praying themselves. They're worshiping. They're not waiting for someone else to feed them. They are doing it themselves, and they're not worrying about the cost. Uh, They're willing to sacrifice to get it, and they're not worried about who gets the credit either. They're wanting to move forward in Jesus and help others as well. In fact, their objective is to be effective not only for themselves, but to be effective for others to the point of multiplication. So they want to not only be discipled, but be disciple makers. And so Jesus, uh, at this point, uh, we're going we're gonna to read in Luke chapter 10. And uh, let me just set the stage. Jesus, at this point, he had already chosen the 12. Uh, we know that as you read earlier on in, in uh, the book of Luke, where he chose the 12 and uh, he, he called them out by name. He handpicked them and he was, they were following him and, and doing what he said, learning what he was teaching. Uh, but then in chapter 9, uh, he not only... Uh, chooses them, but he now appoints and anoints them. And uh, he gave them power to drive out demons and, and cure diseases and sent them to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. But then here in chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, we're seeing Jesus is appointing 72 others. So not he's not talking about the 12. He's talking about 72 others. And he says some very peculiar things here. And I know you've read this verse before, uh, but I just, I'm hoping that this really challenges you and encourages your faith. He says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go 
exclamation point. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And now we love this verse until we get to the last part of verse 3 where it says he's sending us out as lambs among wolves. Like who wants to be a lamb chop to be eaten by some wolves? Nobody wants that, right? But there's a purpose and a reason he's saying that, and I'll, I'll share that with you in a second. But here in this verse is a beautiful description of this uh, of a leadership law called delegation. And it's simply delegation is when uh, we release authority and empowerment to others to get the job done, but yet remain ultimately responsible for the outcome. And this is what Jesus was doing. He already did it for the 12, and now he's showing that he can also do it for others because, you know, the 12, yes, were his right-hand guys, but he was appointing others. And so he has these 72 about to go out, and he's giving them their marching orders. And so within that law of delegation in these verses, I just want you to see these two things really quick. Uh, first is that we need to see from a higher perspective. He gave them plain facts, uh, uh, just the facts, just the facts. You ever heard that before? Uh, but he wanted them to move from information, uh, mental capacity to motivation of their heart. And so he says the harvest is plentiful. Okay. Now, he just basically he wants them to see the need, but he also wants them to understand it's not just the need. I don't want you just to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to have a heart for people. And then also what's seen from a higher perspective is, is the fact that workers are few. It's an, again, honest evaluation of the situation. And he was showing them that the need outweighs the resources. And, but here's the key, though. The greater the need, the greater the opportunity. He was saying, yes, there's a great need, so get a heart for those people. And yes, there aren't many workers, but now here is your opportunity. And then he gives them uh, this, uh, this great fact of, listen, God is the Lord of the harvest. In other words, he's letting them know through this law of delegation, I am overall, I'm ultimately responsible, but I'm sending you out to do it. But listen, you're going to be okay, and you're going to get the job done because I'm going to be with you. And so not only though that first part of seeing from a higher perspective, there's also, secondly, where we need to understand our obligation. He sends and we go. That's our obligation. And like John the Baptist, uh, uh, we prepare the way of the Lord. The difference is John prepared the way of the Lord uh, for him to be physically come on the scene and begin his ministry. We are preparing the way of the Lord for his second coming for him to come and do it again, but this time he's going to take his people back with him to heaven. The commonality is, though, that that we are, just like John did, we are to use evangelism and discipleship to make it happen. And so he sends, we go, but also then we need to be aware of our surroundings. That's something we need to do in order to understand our obligation is we need to be aware of our surroundings. And when he said sheep among wolves, I know that sounds very disheartening. But if you look also at, at the way Matthew uh, writes it, he, he says in Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And then here he adds this. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So being, being shrewd means that we exercise powers of observation and we use wisdom and understanding and, and, and we're to be prudent in the moment. See, Paul said it this way. He said, I become all things to all men so that I may save some. 
See, we need to see our surroundings because, listen, we, we, we need to present the gospel different to family members than we do to coworkers or, or, or to someone we meet at, at Walmart or someone who's a friend of ours from high school who's an agnostic or an atheist. Uh, the messaging is the same, just the method is different. So we need to be uh, wise in how we do that, but also not only uh, be shrewd, but to be innocent. And to be innocent, we know what that means. It means to not be corrupted, not have any evil in you, uh, to be pure, purity of intention. In other words, be incorruptible. Don't get caught up in the things of the world. Don't get distracted by even some of the things that aren't necessarily sinful, but that we don't need to get tied up into so that we can be focused on what he's called us to, which is the harvest field. And so, again, here Jesus is teaching and preparing them for what was right in front of them. But it was all leading up to the day that he would someday release them to carry out the work by themselves. Um, and so Matthew 28, 18 and 20, we love this portion of Scripture, the Great Commission. But again, we see the power of delegation. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in other words, that therefore points back to all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, this power of delegation where I do and you watch, then we do together, and now it's time for you to do by yourself while I watch. See, Jesus is saying this because he's releasing his authority and his empowerment for them to get the job done, to continue his work of going and making disciples. So I wonder if you've ever thought about your own definition of what it means to be a disciple. I know we have some great definitions that our pastors have given us or, or, or that we've read in books. I'm just going to give you a simple definition, but I'd love for you to write down your own definition in the notes. What is discipleship to you? Now, to me, in a simple way, it's just someone who's a follower and a submitter. So it's a follower of and submitted to the teaching of their master. And now for us, we're talking about, you know, following Jesus. So it's when we are followers of Christ and submitted to the teachings of Christ. But again, let me remind you of that progression. He chose the 12, then he's sending out the 72, and then he sends out the 12 right before he ascends. But, but that reminder of pray for workers to go in the harvest field and now so that you can go and make disciples. And so in both of those portions of Scripture, both from Luke and Matthew, it's, it's you are going to, to get the harvest, but pray that you'll find others to go along with you on the way because the more disciples that you make, the more disciples will be getting made because it's that process, discipleship, uh, uh, is 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 a proponent of more disciples. We are disciple makers because evangelism and discipleship are inseparable. And so Jesus calls all believers, all believers, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord who gets saved is to be a disciple, but also a witness and also a disciple maker. They all go together. So we have to remember that. And so I say all of that to come to this portion of where I really just want you to catch on to how connect groups are a gateway to discipleship because this law of delegation, uh, us receiving the authority and empowerment to go uh, and that promise in verse uh, 20, letting us know that he not only has the ability, but the desire 
to help us carry out his marching orders to be disciple makers. So you need to see yourself as a disciple maker. And, and your small group is that opportunity, that gateway for discipleship and those that you are getting to influence. And it's not because you're a leader. It's because you're a Christian, a disciple. And so I remember, and you might remember this too. I know I, most of our listeners, according to the analytics uh, that I get, most of our listeners are between 35 and, and I think it was 50. And I, I'm 52. And I remember this great commercial because I loved basketball. I love Chicago Bulls. and I love Michael Jordan. When they came out with that Gatorade commercial, uh, do you remember the song, Sometimes I Dream That He Is Me? Oh, I love that song. I would hear it and I'd get goosebumps. I'd want to grab my basketball and run outside and play hoop because I remember uh, wanting to be like Mike. I wanted to play like him. Uh, I did. I didn't. I wasn't wanting his riches or his his lifestyle or even to. Uh, I mean, I did at one time want to play in the NBA, um, but really, I just wanted to play like him. I wanted to be good because I wanted to be good at something probably, but I really loved basketball. And as believers, we should get as excited about being like Christ, getting on the court of Christianity and taking our shot. You've heard that saying, shoot your shot. And so many times we hold back our shot and we just hold the ball. And the, and I don't want to be the type of person that uh, uh, the, the clock sounds and the game is over and I didn't shoot my shot. And I know you don't want to be that person either. That's why you're listening to this today. I want, I want to work hard to win, not just for myself, but for others. I want to lead our team to the ultimate championship. And as believers, again, sometimes we're like John the Baptist. Our, our relationship and our message, our ministry, we're all about preparing the way of the Lord, planting seeds that we may never see actually grow. Somebody else is going to get to see them grow. But at other times, we'll be like Philip, who gets to run after a chariot and sit with someone uh, like the Ethiopian eunuch and just open up the Scripture to the point where they understand and they, they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And then they stopped the chariot and they got out of the, and, and they got baptized. And then at other times we'll be like Paul mentoring a Timothy where over time and deep relational investment and spiritual investment, we'll get to see them come to maturity of faith where they begin their own work of discipleship and ministry. Now, assuming that delegated authority and power given us as believers, we seek to fulfill that commission to make disciples. And in the context of our small groups, I want to offer you six quick directives. I'll, I'll try and be quick. And if you don't get it all in right now as you're driving to work, I pray that you'll listen to it and finish it up because these are great points. Not because I'm saying them, it's just they're so plain in the scripture. The first is this. Be a lifelong learner. You know, if you continue reading in Luke chapter 10, you'll come to the portion where Jesus comes on the scene and, and goes to the house of uh, Mary and Martha. And Martha is all about getting the job done, entertaining her guests and, and taking care of Jesus and the others that were there to see him. And there were tasks to be done. But Mary understood the necessity and the power of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And here, here's a point that I take from this. The depths of my devotion is seen in my daily disciplines. Yes, there are checks 
that we need to that we need to check off of our to-do list and tasks that need to be done. But the most important thing, and this is what Jesus was trying to get Martha to understand, is that many things are uh, are necessary, but only one thing is needed, and that's to sit at the feet of Jesus, to participate in our daily habits where we come to spiritual maturity, because we can't lead someone where we haven't been. And then secondly is purposeful prayer partners. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, uh, but if prayer is not your priority, then people aren't your passion. Now, not just not just I'm, I'm not just talking about your private time where you, you know, look at your prayer list and all the people you're praying for, family members, people in your group or people that you work with or whatever else it might be on there. It's great. You need to be praying for them daily. But it's more than that. It's taking the opportunity when you're in their presence to actually say, hey, how can I pray for you? What can I pray about with you? How can we agree together and be in unison in prayer? Because where the scripture says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we want to have that kind of prayer life where we are bold. And I can't, I'm, I'm telling you, there, there was this uh, about a, a year and a half ago when uh, my wife and I started a group and we were meeting at Panera Bread and it was our first meeting uh, of the year. And, uh, and I asked for all the prayer needs and, and they all gave me their needs. And rather than ask them all to pray for each other because they were just getting to know everybody. So I prayed over all the needs and called them out by name and, and prayed over each of the requests. And as we were walking out of Panera, one of the young ladies, she kind of stayed to the back and said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And she had tears coming down her eyes. And, and she said, I just want you to know that, that that's the first time I've ever heard someone pray for me out loud. I've had a lot of people say that they're going to pray for me and that they'll they'll uh, um, that they'll pray for me later or or that they are praying for me in a text message or something like that. But man, that's the first time I actually heard somebody pray over me, and it impacted her so much that then weeks later she was able to pray out loud over one of her friends. And I'm telling you, we have to be purposeful in our in those opportunities to pray for others. Let them hear your heart. And, and see the value that you have in them and the value that God has in them to hear their every need. So that's number two. Number three, faithful follow-up. Now, I, I probably get on this so much because I've been guilty of it before, um, but, you know, texting people to remind them to come to group or, or invite them to church or an event or something like that, or say, Hey, you know, I hope uh, you're in my thoughts and prayers today. That's great. And emails even of, uh, that we send to our, uh, other leaders and, and say, Hey, this is a scripture that I really liked and God really spoke to me. And this is what it was. And we share some details and that's awesome too. And, uh, obviously yes, use technology to, to do whatever you can to reach people. But listen, face to face building relationships, relationships is the best and the most effective way. And so that follow-up needs to be, if nothing less than at least a phone call, because I know you can pray with somebody over the phone. In fact, my my buddy Mike was talking to me today, and uh, we were just shooting the breeze about life and stuff, and uh, and I shared with him something I'm praying about. And and before we hung up, he prayed over me, and uh, which was awesome. I love that. Uh, But in our uh, follow-up, the more face to face it is, the more relation will, relational we'll be able to build and spiritual influence we'll, we'll be able to gain. And listen, you know just as much as anybody else that 80% of, uh, of ministry and of discipleship opportunities happen outside of the church. 
uh, outside of even that group time. Because listen, church is great. We celebrate together in worship. We learn from the word as our pastor preaches, and we have something to take home and 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 be able to chew on for the rest of the week long, and that's great. Um, but man, there is nothing like uh, uh, being able to get with other believers and challenge each other's faith. And but if you're not following up on them. And not just the invitation, but following up and letting them know you care. But listen, follow up. And I tell this to my team all the time. And I don't know, uh, you know, you may not have a system for taking attendance or tracking people coming to your groups or whatnot. If you don't, I challenge you to put that in place. Email me and I'll help you come up with some ways that you can do that. Even if you don't have a software system, there's ways that you can do that. Uh, But listen, follow up starts with having a roster. In other words, all your participants in a list so that you can take attendance. Uh, But also within that roster, we have to what I call clean your roster. So if you have 20 people uh, that say they're in your group, but only 10 are showing up, where are those other 10? And uh, they need more follow up than the ones that are coming, obviously, because they're not there. But if your continual follow up still doesn't uh, avail any results, then you need to let them know that, listen, I'm going to open up spots in my group for people that are going to come. Obviously, say in love and let them know that they're always welcome to come. uh, But focus on the ones that are coming and that are uh, taking the effort. Um, And again, don't do it right away. Don't kick them out of your group because they don't come the one time. And it's not you're not kicking them out. I, I said that wrong. You're making room for others to join so that they can participate. So if they choose not to come and not to participate, just let them know, hey, how can I help you find a different group that maybe might suit your timing better or suit your uh, suit your location better? A lot of times people have signed up for my group and then they realize I'm way out in Hockley. They're like, oh, I live on the east side of Houston. There's no way I can get there uh, by 7 o'clock because I don't get off work till six and it's an hour drive. Um, but, but help them find a group that will meet their needs. So that's number three, faithful follow-up. N- number four is really simple. Revival starts with repentance. And, and that's like, oh, duh. Um, but listen, revival means different things to different people, and that's okay. Um, and, you, you know, some people uh, feel that revival is when uh, church services go longer than expected or when we end up worshiping uh, so long that the pastor doesn't get to preach. Um, and uh, I remember days like that, and I loved the days like that. Not that I didn't like hearing my pastor preach. And so, Pastor Meisner, if you're listening to this, I loved listening to you preach, but I also loved when the Spirit of God would move, and it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe it's 12 o'clock already, and I didn't even get to do my sermon yet. Um, but listen, not that that's not revival. Those are signs of revival. But here, to me, uh, revival isn't just when uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are manifested in our services because, hey, that should be happening all the time. There should be healings when we come together. There should be uh, manifestations uh, of prophecy and of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those things should always be happening when we get together. But to me, revival is when the church is having more of an impact on the world than the world is having on the church. It's when souls are being saved, when the lost are getting brought into the kingdom of God and and our churches begin getting filled with these new converts and people that need to now learn what it means to be a Christian. And it all starts with your story. Your testimony is where it starts. And then it continues through your witness, not just of your lifestyle, because, yes, we need to be a witness in our lifestyle. But more than that, it needs to be in our voice, in our words, by presenting the gospel. Because listen, if you don't tell them about Jesus, how are they going to know? 
You know, in fact, Paul told the Roman church, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And so they need to hear from you about the kindness and the goodness and the mercy of God. In fact, Paul later said, uh, this is a great verse for showing how evangelism and discipleship coexist uh, in Romans chapter 10. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? See, Whoever you are listening to this, if you have called on the name of the Lord and you uh, call yourself a believer, uh, one who is saved, then your job uh, is to realize that you are one being sent. You are a sent one. You are a disciple maker. And so you, your testimony and your witness will bring people to repentance and that will start that journey for them. And then number five is initiate their new identity. So they've come to Christ, and we know uh, that the next step uh, for a believer is to be baptized in water. And that baptism uh, establishes that new identity uh, outwardly. And, uh, and we know that that baptism and repentance are connected. Uh, we know that it's symbolic of when they go down in the water and they're, they're submersed in the water, uh, that they're being buried with Christ in that baptism. And then as they come up out of the water, they're raised to newness of life and they become a part of the family of God. It's that outward confession of an inward faith that, that identifies them as part of the family of God. Now, it realize I'm not saying that baptism saves them. We know that that is not what happened. It's their, it's their faith in, in, in the grace of God that saves them. Um, in fact, here in uh, Acts 2.38, it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and then in Acts 8, we talked earlier about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They stopped the chariot, they got out, and he was baptized. Uh, and then in Mark 16, 16, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, so make sure you're helping them take that step. In fact, I challenge you, uh, uh, if someone in your group or someone that you're witnessing to comes to Jesus, make sure that you are with them at that baptism. In fact, see if you can be the one that gets in the tank and, and baptizes them yourself. Because how cool is that to, to introduce someone to Jesus and then to be with them every step as they, as they become a disciple of Christ? And then number six, the next uh, part is to teach truth. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we just read in Matthew 28, 20. Now, this is both formal and informal. It's both classroom and relational, but it's always focused on Christ. Listen, I love the classroom. I love sitting in the classroom to learn. I also love being in a classroom to teach. That's why I do this podcast because I love presenting the gospel and teaching truth to people. Um, but it's, it's, and I have to be careful how I say this because I love the classroom so much, but the relational side of teaching and discipling, I believe is so much more powerful. In fact, so much so I believe it that that is why you only see the occasion where Jesus teaches uh, in the temple that one time. And then the other times, all the teachings that are that are written about Jesus with his disciples is all outside of the of the temple, outside of church, per se, where he's teaching them as they do life together. 
So important. So when you're at a ball game, when you're at a car show, when you're sipping coffee at at Starbucks or when you're eating dinner with a couple families, whatever it is that you do. and, And listen, it's not just in the group setting. That's part of it. But it's the relationships that form inside of those groups that then you take. Because remember, we just talked about eight, uh, probably 80% of what happens in ministry happens outside of the church and outside of your group setting. So take advantage of those opportunities. Now, listen, I know we've just scratched the surface here, but I hope that you realize that at least this one thing uh, as you were listening, that you are a disciple maker. You're not just a disciple yourself. Uh, You're to be a witness and then to disciple others. And groups are a great conduit to make that uh, process happen. Your group is a gateway to discipleship and for the spiritual development of others. And the authority of God's been given you. It's been released in you, and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. And listen, even as we read that last part of of verse 20 in in, uh, Matthew 28, he is going to be with you every step of the way. And you know what? So is your church. So is your, your, uh, your pastor. And, uh, and if you have group directors or, or whatever they call them at your church, coaches and coordinators, um, they're there to walk alongside of you too because you are a disciple maker and you're not in this alone. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, even as we talk today, I pray that you have been stirring all of our hearts uh, to be and to use uh, our groups as this tool for discipleship. God, that you would help us to be those lifelong learners, whether it's listening to podcasts, digging into your word and a Bible study ourselves, whatever it is that that we best uh, uh, accommodate that task in our lives, that, Lord, we would show the depth of our devotion in those daily disciplines. And then, God, that we would also take the opportunity not just to pray for those around us in our private time, but to take the opportunity to pray for them when we see them, to ask them what their needs are and to pray right there, to not just say, well, I'll be praying for you, but to actually stop and pray right then. And then God, to follow up on them, to not just wait till we see them again at church or at our group, but to follow up on them and to let them know we care, to go the extra mile to show how valuable they are. And God, that if they if they don't know you yet, that we would bring them to the point of repentance, that our testimony and our witness would impact them in such a way as to lead them closer to you. And uh, Lord, I, I know we come to that place of repentance when we accept you. Um, but God, there's we, we all deal with at times struggles with sin or temptations that we can't seem to get away from. Lord, that we would be with them in those times too, and that we would help them to see personal freedom come to their life. And also, God, that uh, for those that haven't yet taken that step of water baptism, that we would walk through that process with them, that we would help them to take and, and make that outward confession of that inward faith to go public with that confession. And Lord, that then we would take personally and, and own that, that, uh, that decree to teach and teach them to obey everything that you've commanded and to make it relational, Lord, not just to wait again for the classroom environment, but to make it relational. God, as you're teaching me, as you're teaching those who are listening, God, that we would take those things we're learning and share it with others and encourage and challenge their faith as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Twelve. I hope that it encouraged your heart and challenged your spirit. 
I'm so grateful that many of you have already purchased your copy of my first book, The 12, from the Westbow Press or maybe even from Amazon or retailers. Um, if you're still wanting to get that, check out uh, my website, roger at rogernelms.com. You can get all the details about ordering that. Um, I am still thinking about doing a book launch. I'm not sure the details yet. I'll be sure to let you know as it comes out. But I do still have seven or eight copies uh, that I can still uh, give out and uh, I can autograph them for you. If you are interested in that, go ahead and email me, roger at rogernelms.com and we'll uh, work out those details. Uh, also, be sure sure to rate, like, and subscribe, and then share this podcast to your friends and family uh, so that they can be encouraged as they hear this message and even be challenged in their own faith to go deeper in Christ and to be the disciple that God called them to be. Thanks again for listening.